Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Mental illness is at an all-time high. Conditions like depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, addictions, PTSD, and ADHD are skyrocketing. Every 14 minutes, somebody commits suicide in the United States. Every eight minutes, somebody dies of a drug overdose. And according to a recent study, over half of the U.S. population will struggle with a mental health issue at some point in their lives. Joining us today is world-renowned brain expert, Dr. Daniel Amen, in his new book, The End of Mental Illness. He's going to share why standard treatment isn't working and what we can do to successfully transform our mind so it's functioning at an optimal level. Don't go anywhere. I have a feeling this episode may just change your mind, and it all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a double board certified psychiatrist, professor, television producer, and 10-time New York Times best-selling author. He's one of the world's foremost experts on using brain imaging tools to help optimize and treat patients. The Washington Post calls him the most popular psychiatrist in America. He's written and hosted 14 national popular shows about the brain for public television. His work has been featured in the New York Times Magazine, the Washington Post, and Men's Health just to name a few, he's appeared on many TV shows, including The Dr. Oz Show, The Today Show, and Dr. Phil. He's the founder of Amen Clinics, which has the world's largest database of brain scans related to behavior on people from 121 countries. His new book is called The End of Mental Illness. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Daniel Amen. Thank you, Dr. Friedman. Thank you for helping me spread this message. Oh, great. It's a powerful message. You know, it's always a pleasure picking your brain because you're, you're so insightful for all, all of us. Tell us, what inspired you to write this latest book, The End of Mental Illness? Well, you know, as I continue to see mental health issues skyrocketing, um, so cancers declined 27%, but suicide has increased 33% since 1999. Why? We're working on the wrong paradigm. Mental illness places the emphasis on your mind, which is vague and hard to define. When the brain imaging work we do at Amen Clinics has clearly shown these are brain health issues that steal your mind. Get your brain right and your mind will follow. But most psychiatrists never look at the brain. And so they're making diagnoses based on symptom clusters without any biological data. And what we've seen is that sort of insane because they miss, well, it could be toxic exposure that is right. damaging. It could be an infection. It could be that you had a head injury. And without biological data on individual patients, you hurt them. Right. I know in your book you share how 51% of the U.S. populations will struggle with a mental health issue at some point in their lives. Who defines what gets labeled as, quote, mental illness? Where does that definition come into play? Well, it's anyone that meets one of the DSM-5 criteria. So the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual is sort of the Bible from the American Psychiatric Association. And it's everything from severe psychiatric disorders like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia all the way to an adjustment disorder or someone right. who has oppositional defiant disorder, which, you know, we're all 
four of my teenage children. <laughs> so, um, right. We, we need to rethink what we're doing. And I don't know if you know, but 85% of psychiatric drugs are prescribed by non-psychiatric physicians in 10-minute office visits. And that oh, should worry people know. because once you start a psychiatric medicine, they're really hard to stop. And they change your brain to need them in order for you right. to feel normal. And I, I'm not opposed to medication. I'm just opposed to throwing darts in the dark at people without any biological information. And the end of mental illness is we need to stop calling these things mental illnesses. Call them what they really are, brain health issues that steal your mind. And then in the book, I have a program is, well, how do you get your brain right? And when you get your brain right, your mood is better. Your memory is better. Your focus is better. You get along better with the people in your family. Yeah, I know for decades, people have been prescribed these antidepressants, which has been pretty much the standard course of care. Uh, what is modern medicine doing wrong and how can we fix it for, for this growing depressed nation? What, what's, what's broken? Well, they assume that all depression is the same. So everybody gets started on an SSRI. So that's a medication that assumes the problem in depression is you have low levels of serotonin. Um, but in right. large-scale studies, they work no better than placebo. So right away, somebody should go, okay, there's a problem with the paradigm. Depression is like chest pain. Nobody gets diagnosed with chest pain. Why? Because it doesn't tell you what causes it or what to do for it. Depression is a symptom with many different causes. What we've seen on our imaging work is depression can be because your brain is too low in activity because your mom drank when she was pregnant right. with you, or it could be because it's too high in activity because your immune system is out of control and you have something like Lyme disease. And how, how right. would you ever know if you actually never took a picture of what's going on in your brain? And I discovered something a few months ago that our listeners might relate to. I'm a very A-type, high-energy, happy person. And one day my friend started noticing that I was depressed and not myself. And it took me a few weeks, but I discovered why. I listened to the news on the way to and from work every day. And all this doom and gloom, bad news was creating this depression. So I decided, Doc, to turn off talk radio, listen to music. I became happy again. Talk to us about the negative role that this doom and gloom media can play on our mental health. Well, it's interesting. In the end of mental illness, I actually have a writing device. And I just imagined if I was an evil ruler and I wanted to create mental illness in America, what would I do? And that's actually one of the 62 evil ruler strategies is turn on the news. And the news really <laughs> isn't about the news anymore. The news right. is about clicks. And it's about how sensational can I be to get you afraid and glued to my news outlet? And, you know, that's why whenever you turn on the TV, Fox, CNN, whoever, everything is breaking news. It's like, it's not breaking news. You just said that 12 times in the last hour, but they're trying <laughs> right. to hook your amygdala, that part of your brain 
that responds to fear, they're trying to hook that so that you'll click and then you'll buy from the ads that they serve you. And that's an evil ruler strategy. I mean, there's many more, but you just gave me a great example of, you know, what's driving the depression that you felt. Right. Yeah, so so you recommend more music. Shut off these this bad news media. And it, it helped. I still listen to the news occasionally, but I'll tell you, I was like, every time I'm in my car, flip on the news. What's happening? What's, and it's like, wait a minute, I've become addictive to, to what's going on. It's like, you know, who cares? <laughs> Just relax, enjoy some music, and, and be happy. And that's what happened. Let me ask you, there's so much focus on now on gut microbiome. Many are referring to, to it as really our second brain. In your opinion, what role does the health of our gut play when it comes to anxiety, depression, brain fog, or maybe ADHD? It's a great question. So in the book, actually the majority of the book is if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed for the dark place, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And we know what they are. And I created a mnemonic called Bright Minds uh, to help us remember them. So for example, B is blood flow, R is retirement and aging. I is inflammation. Inflammation is a major cause of depression and dementia. And if your gut's not right, your brain's not right, in large part because your body's inflamed. The microbiome, those hundred trillion bugs in your gut, actually protect the gut lining, which is only a single cell layer um, thick. And when the gut lining becomes leaky, that's what doctors call it, um, toxins get in your body and cause an inflammatory response that can devastate the rest of your body. So you can have arthritis, you can have brain fog, depression, and get your gut right and your brain will follow. So there's a whole section in the chapter on inflammation about, well, what do you eat for your gut? And what do you not eat for your gut? And how do you supplement to enhance the good bugs and begin to put a lid on the bad bugs? Right. So speaking of gut, is there any particular choice of diet that you recommend to improve the health of our brain? What have you found? Well, we got vegan, we got Mediterranean, keto, so much out there, it's confusing. What have you found is good for the brain? Well, you know, all the diets that actually work long term, there are some big similarities. They all get rid of processed foods. They all get rid of sugar. There's not the sugar diet. <laughs> and so limiting <laughs> processed foods, limiting sugar, um, you have a really good start there. And I'm a fan of meat, but the problem with meat is it's all raised with antibiotics and hormones, which can damage uh, your body. And so it needs to be clean and sustainable meat. The human brain actually started to grow bigger when humans started to eat meat because they're more compact sources of calories. So for me, think of a plate. 70% should be plant-based foods because that's where the medicine is. 30% high-quality protein. Mix in a lot of fat with that, and you really have, um, you know, food made insanely simple. There's actually a chapter in the book called Food Made Insanely Simple. You know, it's basically eat this, don't eat that. 
And I have this little, I have a whole bunch of tiny habits, the smallest thing you can do today right. that'll make the biggest difference that I worked with my friend BJ Fogg for six months from Stanford on how people change. And, and the one tiny habit when it comes to food is whenever you make a decision, just ask yourself, does the food I eat love me back? So I don't know, David, if you've ever been in a bad relationship, but I have. And, and I'm not doing that anymore now that I'm 65. There's just no way I'm not yeah. doing that. And, and I'm certainly not going to do it with food. That if I eat something, I'm going to like it, but it's not going to hurt me because I love myself. And so fall in love with foods that love you back. That love you back. That's great. What about this popular fasting diet? It went from intermittent fasting diet with a 12 to 16 hour window to the latest trend, starving for 23 hours and eating one meal a day. Is this good for the brain? Is starvation well, brain healthy? The in, I like intermittent fasting. Um, uh -huh. where basically you're eating 12 hours, you're eating eight hours a day because the uh -huh. research has shown that can actually help mimic calorie restriction, which is one of the best studied, um, strategies for longevity. It also helps to clean the plaques thought to be involved in Alzheimer's disease because, um, I mean, that happens when you sleep, but it also happens when you fast. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to go 23 hours because there's this one study where they measured the blood sugar of 107 couples, and they asked them to express their feelings about their partners by pins in the dolls, in voodoo dolls. Wow. <laughs> and <Right. laughs> the couples who had the lowest blood sugar had more than twice the number of pins in the dolls. And so, you know, the 23-hour fasting may have some physiological benefits, but you may end up divorced. <laughs> or or it, 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 she'll be in the she shed, and if it's a guy, he'll be in the doghouse. So that's you're great. Correct. Let me ask you, you're, you're considered the nation's foremost brain researcher. I'm curious, is there any cutting-edge neuroscience that you've discovered that challenges that outdated psychiatric paradigm? Well, you know, what I'm really worried about is the big innovations in psychiatry this year are psychedelic drugs like ketamine and ayahuasca and marijuana. And I'm like, this is really going the wrong way. I mean, this is just insane. I published a study on a thousand marijuana smokers. Virtually every area of their brain was lower in activity. It's like we cannot be going in this direction. What we need is exercise, the right diet, the right supplementation, and then learning how to not believe every stupid thing you think. So in the book, there's a section on how to kill the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that steal your happiness. And so it really goes back to this four-circle approach where we're going to get your biology right, we're going to work on your psychology because, you know, hardware and software. But then the people you hang out with really that matters. And social connections and spiritual connections, working on all four of those circles is going to be what we need to do in the future to keep the brain healthy. Looking for that magic bullet medicine for depression or for um, Alzheimer's disease, never going to work because the brain doesn't get sick in one way. We always have to approach it in multiple ways. 
Yeah, interesting you bring up the marijuana because everyone's talking such praise about it. So let me reiterate that. So you're saying that, that smoking marijuana can bring you happiness and maybe then, but then eventually what happens? It depletes part of the brain that keeps you functioning at that happy level? It suppresses activity over time. And, and I have a number of friends who've been smoking for 50 years and they're like, there's nothing yeah. the matter with me. And they come and see me and their brains look... Right. 30 years older than they are. Jeez. Um, and that's not a good thing. Anything that decreases blood flow to the brain prematurely ages the brain. Makes sense, though. Now, they say a picture's worth a thousand words, and you've studied thousands of brain pictures. What's the most shocking thing I'm curious that you've learned after studying so many brain scans? Mild traumatic brain injury ruins people's lives, and nobody knows about it because psychiatrists, psychologists, marriage and family counselors, addiction specialists, they never look at the brain. And so they don't know that head injury you had playing football or the car accident you had or the fall is a major cause of your depression. And nobody's rehabilitating these brains. Instead, they're just medicating them in the dark and we can do better right makes sense i know a lot of people have been labeled with a mental illness that have went on to become some of the world's most creative artistic and smartest people you've got einstein hemingway steve jobs bill gates and steven spielberg which were all called stupid when they were younger i'm curious i've been wanting to ask you i'm looking forward to you coming on here is there any research out there that shows how some people can use their abilities to rise above their disabilities is there like a part of the brain that compensates and maybe outshines the brain of normal folks you know, the brain is just such an awesome organ. And if you have challenges in one area, but it doesn't demoralize you, it can actually show the strengths you have in another area. Uh, Howard Gardner, a long time ago, wrote about different types of intelligence. And, you know, some people are really good on a basketball floor. Other people are really good at math. Know what you're good at and focus on that. Right. What about if somebody's at work and they just need a quick snack just to boost some brain brain power? What do you recommend? Is walnuts still top on your list? So walnuts are great. Um, you know, have an apple, uh, an organic apple with some walnuts. That's a wonderful snack. Great. Fantastic. As always, time just flies by when you're on the show. In the few minutes we have, is there anything left you want to share about your new book and what we didn't cover? Well, what I'm really excited about is there's a chapter in the book called Mind Medicine versus Nutraceuticals. And a lot of doctors, you know, we just get no training in natural supplements. That chapter alone has 286 references. And I go through the major psychiatric issues like anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, addiction, ADHD. And I go, before you start a medication, well, what do I do with my patients? So again, I'm not opposed to medicine, but for anxiety, the benzos actually been shown to increase your risk for dementia. Benzos are a common anti-anxiety medication. So, well, there's 13 things I want people to do beforehand, including things like theanine and GABA and magnesium all have A-level scientific evidence they can help anxiety. 
And so let's just do the rational thing. First, do no harm. Use the least toxic, most effective treatment. And I go through, well, what does the science say, along with my clinical experience? If you're depressed, well, what are the things you could do first uh, before just the knee-jerk reaction is, well, let me start medication. Yeah, such a good point. You know, everybody's just, that's they dive into that medication. I like your thought pattern is, hey, look at the cause. Everybody's focusing on, on the smoke. They don't look at the fire. Something's creating it. You can try to keep putting out the smoke and getting your fans to push the smoke out the door, but you still got the flames. And I love your concept. You look at, wait, what's, what's that match? What's fire? Is it gasoline starting it? Is it kerosene? Is it a match? Is it, a, you know, electrical fire? Correct? I mean, you're looking at what's, there's so many different ways that could be causing the fire, and I love that attitude. You don't know the cause, um, how are you ever going to get to the root? And then you end up on this medicine, and then you need another medicine for the side effects of that medicine, and you end up going down the rabbit hole of hell, which many psychiatric patients do, and it breaks my heart, which is uh, why I wrote The End of Mental Illness. Yeah. Fantastic. I want to thank so much for joining us today and sharing such great mindful information. The book is called The End of Mental Illness, and be sure and get your copy. It's available everywhere books are sold, or you can go to amonclinics.com. And while there, sign up for Dr. Amon's free newsletter so you can stay up to date with all the latest health news and happenings. He offers a plethora of resources, including articles, healthful research, and informative videos. You can follow Dr. Amon on Instagram at doc underscore. Amen. On Twitter, he's at Doc Amen. And on Facebook, Dr. Daniel Amen. For my daily social media post, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman, except for Instagram, where you can find me at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Amen share something today that would benefit somebody you know, I'm sure you do, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to yourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, and coworkers. And on social media, this information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.